seriously popular. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of crimes, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven children and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I'll be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is The Trial of Lucy Letby. Welcome to episode six of The Trial of Lucy Letby, where we get behind the headlines of this case and bring you the detail the jury are hearing in this Manchester court. The case against Lucy Letby is that she killed or harmed 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. Prosecution case is that each one of these babies was attacked when they were being cared for in the special care baby unit by the very person whose job it was to look after them. We're bringing you the detail of this court case as the jury is hearing it, from the prosecution and the defence. The importance of a fair trial is absolutely paramount, so we won't be explaining anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. Every one of these babies was, or is, someone's son or daughter. And the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. We've already heard about how babies A, B, C and D were allegedly attacked by Lucy Letby 
during a two-week period in June 2015 in previous episodes. Her next victim was allegedly murdered around six weeks later in August that year. Welcome to Episode 7, Baby E. Baby E was the fifth alleged victim of Lucy Letby. He was a baby boy. He and his identical twin brother were born ten weeks early in August 2015. And the jury have heard that both boys should never have been at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the first place. There had been complications with their mother's pregnancy and the boys had been diagnosed with a rare condition which occurs when identical twins share a placenta in the womb. This can cause them to grow at different rates and because of this they were supposed to be born at Liverpool Women's Hospital which is a more specialist centre. But on the day they needed to be delivered Liverpool Women's Hospital was full and there were no neonatal cots available for them. So instead, they were born at the Countess, which is around 30 miles away. Baby E weighed just under three pounds when he was born, a minute before his brother, and he was considered to be the stronger of the two babies. Both boys were placed in cots next to each other in the intensive care nursery, which you'll remember was called Nursery One. And Baby E didn't need ventilating, and instead he had a mask to help with his breathing, and on August the 3rd, Lucy Letby was the nurse designated to look after the twins in Nursery One. Yes, and by then, Caroline, baby E was a few days old and able to breathe for himself. He was also being treated with antibiotics and insulin to regulate his blood sugar. He was also well enough for milk feeds to begin, and his mother had begun expressing breast milk for her sons. She gave evidence in court to say this was really important for her. She said, It was the only thing I could do for them at that point. I had to do it. It was non-negotiable for me. So baby E's mother was staying at the hospital because she'd had a C-section and she was recovering on the postnatal ward above the neonatal unit and she and her husband thought their sons were doing well. Baby E's mother said staff had talked about moving the boys to a different hospital to be closer to the couple's home, which was around an hour away from Chester. And on the evening of August the 3rd, her husband had actually left the hospital to get their home ready for his wife's return because it was anticipated that the boys would be moved over the coming days. And at around half past six that night, Baby E's mother said she'd gone down to the neonatal unit and changed Baby E's nappy, wiped his eyes and his neck. She told the jury the couple were thrilled that both babies were doing so well. We couldn't have asked for any more, she said. I was just over the moon that the two boys were perfect. So, feeling really reassured, she went back up to the ward for something to eat. That's right, the twins' mother said that after visiting her boys, she went back upstairs, but two hours later, at about nine o'clock, she returned to the neonatal unit to deliver some breast milk. But as she approached their nursery, she could hear her son screaming in his cot. Now she told the jury that Lucy Letby was the only nurse in the room at the time. But she wasn't with her son, she was actually at the workstation, which was around the corner from his cot. Baby E's mother was asked what happened next by the prosecuting barrister, Nick Johnson, KC. Their words are voiced by an actor and begin with Baby E's mother describing what she could hear as she entered the corridor next to Nursery One. 
I could hear my son crying, and it was like nothing I had heard before. I walked over to the incubator to see blood coming out of his mouth, and I panicked. I was panicking because I felt like there was something wrong. Was Lucy Letby near your son when you walked in? No, there was a workstation, and she was at the workstation. Just describe what you could hear. I could hear crying. What sort of crying? It was a sound that should not have come from a tiny baby. It was horrendous. It was more of a scream than a cry. How long before you walked into the room could you hear that? I could hear it in the little corridor. What was Lucy Letby doing as you walked in, hearing what you could hear? She was busy doing something, but she wasn't near my son. What did you do? I immediately went to him. When the boys were born, we were told to use a technique of putting our hand on the baby's head and tummy to make them feel like they were still in the tummy, to make them feel calm and comforted. I tried doing that, but it didn't work. Did you ask Lucy Letby about what it was you could see? I asked why he was bleeding and what was wrong. Did she give you a response? What did she say? She said the feeding tube from the back of his throat would be rubbing, and that would have caused the blood. Did you accept that explanation? Yes. Were you concerned about that explanation? Yes. Did Lucy Letby say anything else to you? She told me to go back to the ward. And I think at this point, Liz, baby E's mother became tearful when Mr Johnson asked her whether she had done what she was told. Yeah, she told jurors that she agreed to go back upstairs after about 10 minutes because Lucy Letby reassured her that a doctor was on his way to see her son and she would be contacted if there was any further problems. Baby E's mother said she agreed to go because she thought that, as a professional nurse, Lucy Letby knew better and she trusted her completely. Well, her son was still crying when she left Liz and she felt really anxious about leaving. She told the court that when she returned to her bed upstairs, she was panicking and she telephoned her husband to tell him what had happened. She was right to be worried because while she was upstairs, things began to go downhill for her son. The jury heard evidence from Dr David Harkness. He was the registrar on duty. By 11pm, he'd been called to Baby E's bedside twice. He said he was initially called at around 10 past 10 because Baby E had vomited a large volume of fresh blood. More blood and fluid had also come up his feeding tube. Dr Harkness diagnosed a gastrointestinal haemorrhage, which means baby E was bleeding from somewhere between his mouth and his bowel. So the doctor started him on some antibiotics and gave him some medicine to reduce the acid levels in his stomach, which he thought may have been the cause. But Dr Harkness was called back again around 50 minutes later, around 11pm, by Lucy Letby. When even more blood came up the tube, the court heard that the blood loss by this point was significant and it amounted to a quarter of all the blood in his body. And Dr Hartner said he'd never seen such a huge bleed in a baby of that size. And Liz Baby E's levels of oxygen in his blood also dropped dramatically. Yes, Caroline, Dr Harkness was worried and he decided to call the consultant, who we can't name for legal reasons, to discuss baby E's worsening condition. They both agreed that Dr Harkness would give the baby fluids to help replace the blood loss and prepare to ventilate him, which means putting a tube down his throat so a machine could breathe for him. The idea was to get him stable enough to see what was causing the problem. And the nursing team also decided at this point to contact baby E's mother upstairs. She was asked to call her husband. Soon afterwards, he arrived and they went straight to the unit. 
But before Dr. Hartness had chance to ventilate baby E, he suddenly deteriorated, and that was about 40 minutes later. Yeah, so it's about 11.40pm by then, and baby E's heart rate and the levels of oxygen in his blood suddenly dropped. He was immediately intubated and put on a ventilator to stabilise him. He also developed a striking rash of flitting purple patches. Now, listeners will remember that this is a feature of the case which the prosecution say is significant because it developed when several of the babies were allegedly injected with air into their bloodstream. And Dr Harkness told the court it reminded him of the same purple discoloration that he'd seen on baby A's body two months earlier. Now, like in the other cases we've heard, the on-call consultant was telephoned again and asked to attend. She arrived at 12.25am the next morning, but 11 minutes later, at 12.36, baby E suddenly collapsed again and doctors began full CPR when his heart stopped beating. The court heard Dr Harkness led the resuscitation efforts alongside nurses Caroline Oakley, Lucy Letby and another colleague, Belinda Williamson. Jurors were told the resuscitation was distressing because baby E continued to bleed profusely from his nose and mouth while the medical team desperately tried to save him. Over the course of the next 47 minutes, with his parents close by, the medical team gave baby E five doses of adrenaline to try and stimulate his heart. Yes, and unusually, like in the case of baby C, baby E's heartbeat returned momentarily, just after 1am. But by then he had been without oxygen for around 15 minutes and doctors soon realised he was unlikely to survive. CPR was stopped at around 1.23am and baby E was given to his parents to cuddle as he passed away. He was formally pronounced dead at 1.40am on August the 4th. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. After baby E died, Lucy Letby put together a memory box for his parents and even bathed him because his mother was too broken to do it herself. She took hand and footprints as well as a lock of his hair. She also put a teddy bear and photographs inside the box for his parents. Unlike in the other cases we've heard about, Lucy Letby finished her night shift and soon began exchanging messages with colleagues about what happened. The messages begin with a nurse who can't be named for legal reasons. 
She WhatsApped Lucy Letby after she heard about the death of baby E. You okay? Just heard about baby E. Did you have him? Sending hugs. Kiss kiss. News travels fast. Who told you? Yeah, I had them both. Was horrible. Had he been getting pearly or was it sudden? Per you, you're having a shit time of it. He had a massive gastrointestinal bleed. Damn, he had always struggled a bit more feed-wise. I just really feel for the parents and for you too. You've had some really tough times recently. Guess he was very high risk. Was just awful. He was bleeding from everywhere during resus. Got him back, but gas incompatible. Parents completely distraught. I feel numb. Another nurse, Jennifer Jones Key, also WhatsApp Lucy Letby later the same evening. Hey, how's you? Kiss. Not so good. We lost baby E overnight. Kiss. That's sad. We're on a terrible run at the moment. Were you in one? I had him and baby F. Kiss. That's not good. You need a break from it being on your shift. Kiss. It's luck of the draw, isn't it, unfortunately? Only three trained, so I ended up having both, whereas just baby F the other shifts. You seem to be having some very bad luck, though. Not a lot I can do, really. He had a massive hemorrhage. Could have happened to any baby, kiss. No, you did everything you could. I know it can happen to any baby. Very scary. I have seen one. My baby did it in nursery three once. Horrible. Wasn't nice. This was abdominal. I have only seen pulmonary before. That's not good. It's horrible seeing it. Initially, the consultant in charge thought baby E died from natural causes, by a bowel condition called necrotizing enterocolitis, or NEC for short. This occurs when parts of the bowel become inflamed or dies and she didn't want to push his parents, who were shell-shocked by their son's death, to have a post-mortem. And Liz, this led to a dramatic moment in court. Yes, in court the doctor turned to baby E's parents, who were sitting in the public gallery behind her, and publicly apologised for this. She said she regretted that decision, because obviously a post-mortem would have been very helpful in explaining exactly why baby E died. The doctor went on to explain to the jury why she changed her mind about baby E's cause of death and why she thought the bowel condition was no longer to blame. Yeah, she said she'd since examined the results of blood tests and x-rays taken in the run-up to his death. She said his observations were very stable up until he collapsed, which didn't fit with what would have happened if he had had the bowel problem. She also said she'd failed to give enough weight to the x-ray, taken around an hour before his death, which showed no sign of neck and had been normal. And Liz, it's alleged by the prosecution that baby E's death on August the 3rd, 2015, was not due to natural causes. They alleged that when his mother went into nursery one with her breast milk and found her son crying, he had been attacked by Lucy Letby. That's correct, Caroline. The prosecution say that when she went into nursery one with her milk that evening... She had actually interrupted Lucy Letby in the process of murdering him. And the court heard testimony from the prosecution's expert witness, Dr Dowie Evans, about what they say happened. Dr Evans told the jury that Lucy Letby injured baby E by shoving or forcing a piece of medical equipment, like a suction tube, down his throat 
Dr. Evans said this caused Baby E to suffer extraordinary bleeding to his upper gastrointestinal tract, which runs between the mouth and the stomach. But Dr. Evans also insisted that this injury was not enough to kill him, and instead, like in the other cases we've heard about, it was an injection of air into his bloodstream that actually killed him. So Liz, that's the prosecution case. But Lucy Letby denies all the charges against her. And Ben Myers, KC, the barrister for Lucy Letby, disagreed with the prosecution's allegations. He said an air embolus did not cause baby E's death. And instead, he died of the bleeding or catastrophic hemorrhage. He pointed out that because there'd been no post-mortem, it was impossible to say what caused the bleeding and he insisted that there was no evidence to back up Dr Evans' theory that Lucy Letby had attacked baby E with a tube or any other piece of medical equipment, and he accused him of speculating. Yes, Mr Myers suggested that baby E was more poorly than the doctors and nurses claimed. He said he was a high-risk baby because of his prematurity. He suggested he had high blood sugar levels, which was evidence that he was physically stressed, and that this could have increased acid levels in his stomach, which could have caused the bleeding. All of these suggestions, Liz, however, were dismissed by the doctors who treated baby E and the prosecution experts who all insisted he was stable. And we should point out, shouldn't we, Liz, that the jury have yet to hear from the defence expert witnesses. They'll be given the opportunity to tell the jury what they believe happened later in the trial. But Mr Myers did question the quality of care given to baby E before he collapsed. He suggested in court that the baby had lost a significant amount of blood and that doctors should have considered a blood transfusion before his final collapse. He also suggested they'd been too slow to ventilate him. Yeah, that's right, Caroline. Mr Myers suggested Dr Harkness, who was at that time a paediatric trainee, was out of his depth and it had been a serious mistake not to order a blood transfusion. Both Dr Hartness and the consultant on call strongly disagreed with this, Liz. Yes, the jury were told baby E didn't have a fast heart rate, poor colour or low blood pressure, which they said would have been signs of significant blood loss. And the consultant insisted that a failure to give him a blood transfusion earlier did not contribute to his collapse. So Liz, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the importance of covering a trial as a journalist and not just the importance of justice being done, but our role in justice being seen to be done as well. And that's why we've got a really brilliant guest this week. Yeah, Caroline, we've got Tim Crook, who is Professor of Journalism at Goldsmiths University in London. Now, he was LBC's court correspondent for a long time at the Old Bailey, and he's also an expert in media law. Hi, Professor. Thanks for joining us. Talk us through a little bit about your background. Why do you feel so passionately that it's such a skill that we need to preserve? Well, it was the first major specialist job I had in journalism. In 1981, BBC Radio Scotland commissioned me to report every day of a spectacular and fascinating trial of an Oxford graduate with a working class background called Howard Mark, who specialised in smuggling cannabis into the United Kingdom, although clearly he was going to deny this. And at the end of it, he was acquitted. He uh, 
it was the kingpin bringing in over twenty million pounds of marijuana. Customs and excise interrupted the whole operation. Cannabis started washing ashore in the Western Isles. Poultry farmers used it as bedding for their chickens, and the hens <laughs> began to behave very strangely. Oh my God, that's hilarious! I was hooked. Day by day, first time I'd had the chance to report every minute of a trial. The chance to be in a courtroom and, and witness the drama was extraordinary, and I was completely drawn into it and committed. And I was enormously lucky because IRNLBC knew that I was there, and they asked if I could file for them because I was only broadcasting to Scotland. And I said yes. And then when that trial finished, Ira and LBC asked me to be their full-time Old Bailey Central Criminal Court correspondent and, and also cover the Royal Courts of Justice and anything else legal. And I said yes. And for 16 years, that was my life. Well, so It's arguably the best court in the land, the Old Bailey, isn't it? It's often the, where the most serious cases go. Absolutely. And it's remained so. And uh, I had the, again, the privilege to uh, report the most important cases, particularly terrorism. I mean, late 70s, 80s, early 90s, terrible terrorist crimes on the mainland, as well as what was going on in Northern Ireland. And then I would be there covering the trials of people responsible, including Patrick McGee, who nearly succeeded in destroying Margaret Thatcher and the entire British cabinet with the Grand Hotel Brighton bombing in 1984. And is there still an interest in like young reporters for being court reporters? Absolutely. When they have the chance to be in court and cover significant trials, they realise the importance. They experience the drama and the intensity. One of the difficulties is that the industry is under a huge amount of pressure, has been for 20, 30 years, and there isn't the economy to support the number of specialist court reporters. And with the demands of instant multimedia reporting, it's a tremendous skill. So I actually think that contemporary court reporters are legends. You mentioned Professor Open Justice there, and obviously the cases that you've highlighted in this particular case are big cases. They're life-changing cases in many ways. But there's something else, isn't there, about open justice and covering court cases? They highlight and illustrate the lives of everyday people. What I found when I was a full-time court reporter, very often the key problems, social problems, sometimes political, uh, developing in society, they would manifest themselves first in crime. Nowadays, news desks want reporters not just to file one story a day and... The problem with being a court reporter is you've got to listen really to all the evidence over the full day to take and make an accurate report of what's going on. In that sense, it's kind of an investment. It's, it's an expensive skill. It's an expensive skill and it's a quite brilliant demanding skill. It's a skill where there is no right to fail. And what you're doing with your podcast, what well, is unique and groundbreaking and all credit to you, historical and vitally important. And also it's the way ahead, true crime podcasts, confirmed that the public interest in court reporting remains. Next week, we'll hear about Baby E's identical twin, Baby F. The prosecution say Lucy Letby also tried to kill him less than 24 hours after she murdered his brother. 
Baby F survived, but is the first baby in this case allegedly poisoned with insulin. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence, and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialofluciletby at gmail.com. And we'll both be back next week with episode 8. See you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. Oh, gosh, you find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. Unashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah... I remember that being really stressful. Everything I know about me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.